Hello, my name is Redmond Weisenberger, and welcome to the next uh, edition of the Austrian AV Club slash uh, what? Real news? What are we calling it? It's, what's 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 your main thing? You call sort of call uh, it? true uh, news. True news. Sort of Stefan's fun house. We'll we'll call it that. So uh, yeah, today we wanted to discuss. Uh, there's something that's been going on uh, for the last little while here in Canada. Um, uh, for those of us, I know that we have a lot of American viewers on occasion or people from around the world, basically, um, you know, the same sort of, uh, austerity, not necessarily austerity, but in Canada, we face the same budgetary problems that the Western social democratic states do around the world. Essentially, effectively, we're going bankrupt slowly. Um, and I one of the things out just, that, uh, sorry, Canada has a higher uh, debt percentage of GDP. Oh, sorry, almost as high as as Greece. Uh, this is not something ah. that you you know. I mean, of course, we've got natural resources, not just the tax livestock, but the natural kind. Um, and so it's not quite as dire, but um, yeah, uh, it's it's pretty pretty horrendous. Oh yeah, no, for sure. And, and but but even with those, uh, but even with those um, natural resources, there has to be the will to actually allow something to happen. You know, and, and that's <laughs> right. that's sort of the problem, right? As opposed to just locking everything down. Um, but but basically, what's happened here is that um, Quebec is probably the most bankrupt of our provinces, and uh, they, for many years now, they've had also on top of that. Well, of course, because of that, um, or as a result of their very large uh, welfare state, right? They have um, they have seven dollar a day daycare, which nobody can get into. Um, they and also it's have actually bad for kids. Uh, it actually reduces IQ points, according to more recent studies. Well, see, the thing is, though, of course, Quebec is also very statist in its nature, and they they actively want the children to be in in state run daycare. <laughs> right. Oh no, but they they do specifically so they they can can control what the children are exposed to. Like apparently, they're not allowed. You know, absolutely no religion of any sort is allowed to be discussed in these classes. You know, they can they can say, well, X, this thing is you know um, politically correct, and that's not politically correct. Uh, you know, students uh, are sort of um, students are critiqued or students are punished if they're heard speaking English in the classes. I mean, there's a I mean, we could we could just talk about that. But uh, more particularly, uh, Quebec is Quebec students have had the lowest tuition in all of Canada um, for pretty much forever. I mean, I remember, you know, when my friends were going to university uh, back in the day, I think their tuitions were a good thousand dollars less than the tuition I was paying, uh, you know, for... Can I can I share a story? And this is, yeah. this is a little... Because uh, I went to school uh, in Quebec for four years. Uh, I did two years at the National Theatre School, and then I did uh, two years finishing off a history degree at McGill. And um, at NTS, the my tuition was $1,200 a year. I ah. think it's a little bit more. Now, this is, this is the 90s, so mm -hmm. uh, it's a bit back in the day. Yeah. But it was significantly low. Uh, I mean, that's just, I mean, as far as covering the cost, it probably wasn't more than five to eight percent of the actual cost of my education. Now, the cost of my education, as you know, is bloated. There's this weird thing. People think if the government gives more to universities, the universities will lower tuition. Or, or will keep the prices low. And this is the same thing that's going on in the U.S. Of course, it's not true. When you give more money, more government money to institutions, they bloat. They start to get bureaucracies. They start to get fiefdoms. They start to pay superstars outrageous money. And you start to get, you know, $160,000, $200,000 for a professor to teach three hours a week. Uh, this is, you, you just waste money. 
it's it's like giving somebody a a lottery a winning lottery ticket and expecting that they're going to somehow uh, reduce their spending. No, they just they go hog wild and the same thing. And then of course the universities have built up all these debts, the governments have built up all these debts, and one of the ways that they've sustained all of this is obviously through debt and through bribing the professors uh, with state money, bribing the bureaucracies, and bribing of course the students, and usually at the expense of the TAs who are paid like Malaysian wages. <laughs> yeah. So what's been happening is that the, the Quebec government facing, I mean, basically Quebec is the California of uh, Canada, <laughs> right? I mean, we've just got, you know, it's just, it's just a wreckage, you know, Quebec has been destroying its economy for about 40 years now. And uh, the, the province has said, you know, over the next four or five years, we're going to raise your tuition by $325 a year. And uh, the students have taken to the streets, you know, what they're, they've been, effectively they say they're on strike now of course they're paying to go to class so really you know it's sort of cutting off their nose to spite their face but there's a long culture uh in quebec of this sort of um socialist uh whatever you want to call it this sort of you know radical student protest movement right and whether it was uh, complaining about sovereignty in the 1960s and 1970s, and and now it's complaining about uh, the fact that they might have to pay a little bit more, essentially the equivalent of a coffee cup a day <laughs> per year, you know, to... Uh, yes, sorry, to, just just to be clear, though, it increases 375 per year. So it yes. ends up being about 75% more uh, for tuition after five years. I just want to be, be clear about that. But but look, this is what people do in a democracy. If you have a beef, you you get a mob and you have a tantrum. And, and whether that's the case in the public sector uh, with, with teachers, I mean, the teachers were going on strike half the time I was growing up. TTC workers go out on strike. They have tantrums. They beat up scab workers. The same thing happens with the garbage pickup people. They, they dump garbage all over the city. They, they beat up scabs. I mean, the idea that this is somehow confined to the young, it's an astounding hypocrisy. You know, the, the, yeah. the, the, great, the great danger of society is not that the young fail to understand the lessons of their society, the moral lessons in particular, but that they do understand them. Join yeah. a mob and have a a tantrum. That's exactly how you get what you want in this infantile system we have. Yeah, and and what's interesting is that I've I've had I had sort of this Twitter debate with this guy who you know commented on something, and, and I started going back and forth with him, and I just said, well, look, you know, you're 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 saying that, um, you know, the cost of tuition is very high, and I said, okay, listen, if you want to understand what the why the cost of something is high, you what you do is you look at the input costs. Right. So if, you're, if I'm selling a pair of shoes for five dollars, a hundred bucks, you know, it, it probably cost me 50 bucks to make the shoes or something like that. And this is the key when you're looking at um, along with everything else in our society, since, you know, we went off gold and started inflating every, everything, uh, the 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 salaries of professors has gone up year over year over year. Um, I mean, I've got this little graph. I don't know how well it's going to show up sort of on, on, on your little thing here. But you can see from 1982, from the 1980s, where it's showing there, the, the, the average price, average salary of full-time professors, uh, Quebec and other regions of Canada, in uh, 1980, they were around 40000 somewhere between 35000 to $45,000. Um, 0405, now this is 0405, I know it's even higher now, it's just under $100,000 a year. Right. Is that so, in constant dollars? It's constant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, actually, actually, that's your that, good point. <laughs> it didn't take. I don't know if it takes into a, account of inflation, but essentially, what you've got now is a system 
Um, you but know, that's, sorry, just this is this is at a time where the real average wages of the average worker has actually declined. Yes. So uh, they've definitely gone gone up considerably, even relative to inflation. And of course, they've gotten more more benefits, right? And so, and and what also is uh, an interest? Well, yeah, I mean, and what I think is interesting because you sort of talked about this, uh, and what I think is funny with this, especially, is that you get some of these professors who are in in school or professors who are supporting their students in sort of taking to the streets, stopping other students from going to their classes. Right. Um, I think one person tweeted something. She said um, uh, she decried the fascist state, uh, which is paying her, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars a year and giving her a sabbatical once every four years, allowing her to teach three hours. It's sort of like you, you had a great talk where you discussed, um, the ring of police that surround this one professor who was complaining about police who were, you know, sticking it to some students, you know, and, and she sort of says, I want to tell all my students who are arrested that I love them all and that they are changing the history of Quebec. And she's, you know, one of the reasons why there aren't as many jobs within the university system is because we've instituted um, tenure for the baby boomers and I've had discussions with um, I've had discussions with uh, people who are teaching, say, at the University of Guelph. And he specifically says we've got these, you know, highly paid tenured professors who basically don't work. And because they're there, we can't hire anybody new, you know. And well, and just to point out, I mean, of course, the, the lie that was used to sell tenure it came about, uh, of course, largely as a result of the communist hysteria, which was not entirely misplaced in the McCarthy era in the 1960s. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the, the, the lie was, they said, well, you see, we, we don't want to fire people for unpopular views. And so they have to have tenure. It was everybody who was afraid of getting fired for being socialists right after they fought a war against national socialism. Yeah. And it turned out that large numbers of intellectuals and people who worked in the State Department and the government department who were part of negotiating teams from foreign policy were all avowed communists. Uh, so, yeah. you know, and so they put this thing in. And, of course, the inevitable result uh, is that they say, well, we can't fire people with unpopular views. So what happens is we're going to hire people who entirely conform to what we know. Nobody who has different or unusual or original ideas will ever now get hired in the university system. It produces this unbelievable vanilla, white, red, bland, slightly left of center conformity within the academic community, which is incredibly rigid. And I, I mean, I say this having beat my head against the wall of um, academia in three at York University, at McGill University, doing a master's degree at at uh, U of T, mm -hmm. uh, you say something that's outside the box, the professors just look at you like you've opened up a 9,000 watt searchlight directly into their eyeballs. Yeah. Uh, you just wish they'd water a little bit, but it's just like, uh, it does not compute. You can see them almost shake their head, you know, like Keanu Reeves in the Parenthood movie, like, oh, it doesn't compute. And they would literally just gloss right over whatever I would say uh, and, and just go right back to whatever it is that they were saying. And uh, yeah. this is absolutely chilling and it's a ridiculous travesty of uh, intellectual inquiry. Well, this is and this is the funny thing, right? It's uh, if you if you look at this, and of course the the number of students who are protesting, uh, it's not even it's not the majority of students who are, are complaining about this, right? And and some of the things that even the the university professors are saying, I mean, I, personally, I think it's in part because they know that they're the ones who are in 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 part raising the cost of education, right? I mean, it's not it's not simply you know the government has granted. Well, the government created a state monopoly of, of education, 
and the professors are directly benefiting off that that system, right? Yeah, sorry to interrupt, but you know, if if this woman stands in love and solidarity with her students, then why the hell doesn't she teach, just say six hours a week rather than three and not take an increase in pay? Just three hours more a week, lady, that's all you have to do. Stop trumpeting your solidarity and do something practical. That would do something to lower the cost of education. No, 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 no. We must stand and wave signs and scream and talk about our solidarity, but I'm not going to give up one thin dime of my unjust benefits. Yeah, well, there was a funny guy, this guy, Denis Belil, a professor here, speaking on CBC Radio, this is the Quebec Federation of Professors. They're they're angry that the government and university administrators are forcing professors to teach their courses despite the continuation of the student strike. Terrifying to see a police state. Oh, terrifying to see, terrifying to see police enforcing the injunction on his campus. And the injunction was for the ability of other students to go to class who wanted to continue learning. And he said, he said. Um, Belial was asked if it was fair to deny students who do not support the strike access to the classroom, even if it jeopardizes their academic year. This is a very serious battle going on right now, and this, and this might have some negative temporary effects on individuals, he said, but in the long run, all of society will benefit from it. <laughs> you know? but, okay, let's, let's just take a step back here for a sec, though, because you know, one of the things that I've argued for many years is that whenever you put the guns of the state around any particular thing, you know, whether it's education or a particular industry or whatever, it kind of stops in time. It's no longer subject to the creative destruction of market forces. It no longer has to innovate. It no longer has to adapt. And it no longer has to win customers because it's either protected or subsidized or whatever. Mm -hmm. So my question is, why do we still have a university system that looks pretty much the same now as it did like 100 years ago or more? You know, where you've got a you know, bunch of people have to go and spend four years sitting in classrooms for, you know, a, half, a dozen hours a week, writing essays and papers, getting graded and all that. Mm-hmm. And, and why? Because that's a sensible thing to do is to have, you know, industry apprenticeships, right? This is how my dad got his PhD. He, you know, got his PhD in return for committing to work for a company for a certain number of years after he got his PhD and he could buy his way out if he wanted and they paid for his PhD. Mm-hmm. And so this would be a pull scenario where it would be a matching of industry with uh, applicants. Now, there wouldn't be a lot of demand for art history basket weaving. Uh, and I say this as a guy who did a degree in the history of philosophy. So uh, there wouldn't be a lot of, of call for that, but that would be a pull scenario and it would be as efficient as humanly possible. Uh, right now, it wouldn't be what the average takes seven years to get a PhD. I mean, mm. dear Lord, unless you're actually figuring out how to turn pyrite into real gold, I cannot see how seven years of education is required for any kind of payoff in yeah. society. But it would be back to apprenticeships. It would be back to learning while you work or at least e-learning or stuff like that. There is really no fundamental need in the market for this stuff, what it is needed for is to get students into debt, which puts them on the treadmill. It is needed to further indoctrinate the most intelligent who might have escaped a few cobwebs from high school. So they got a good quarter century of indoctrination to to chase the last brain cells out of their nose. It is needed for all these statist purposes. And it is, of course, needed to create this Shangri-La for, um, for educators, uh, yeah. for professors and intellectuals so that they're going to praise the state and stay and, and keep, keep you know, as soon as you get people to benefit from the gun in the room, boop, blinders go down. They can no longer see the gun in the room. And they will never, ever admit to it being there because it's so shameful for them deep down. But my question is, why does it even look like this anymore? It's only because of state protection, as far as I can see. Yeah, well, I mean, that's uh, but essentially that's what it's it's overall. It's trying to do that. It's, what they're trying to do is keep everything locked into a sort of stasis 
so that they can, you know, whatever you want to say, keep control, make sure that things are like bribe the population to go along with what they want to do. I mean, if you look at Quebec itself, um, it is the main beneficiary in Canada of the federal transfer system. Right. And so now you've got a situation where, you know, Quebec has been getting in equalization payments, you know, since 2008-09, you know, eight billion dollars, eight billion dollars, eight billion dollars, seven billion dollars, seven billion dollars. Um, it's basically like a giant welfare state system. So the entire province of Quebec, through, you know, through its government is living off of the productive members of the rest of Canada. And, and how many, sorry, just for those who don't know, this is a, yeah, a an interprovincial transfer system where yes. there's a variety of calculations. And if you fall below a certain threshold, then you get these massive payments that are taken from, I think it's Alberta and Ontario are the only two left. I think BC recently yeah. sank under the water it as well. It used to be, well, no, Ontario is a have not province too now. Ontario has gone down under, so is it just Alberta left? Yeah. I mean, this is like, like the, four, the last four pages of Atlas Shrugged, you know, um, uh, so is it Alberta that's the only one left? Yeah, yeah I, I think, think Alberta, maybe Newfoundland, Newfoundland, apparently, you know, they started, they stopped fishing and they started, you know, developing their oil resources and gas resources. So they're not doing that either. But but what this also does is it, it keeps uh, voting blocks in a certain place, right? Because right now we've got a situation where um, you've got uh, Alberta needs more workers, right? And so, but say the people out in eastern Canada, there's a certain percentage who are involved in fishing and that's a seasonal activity. So they get welfare, they get EI payments for six months of the year. So they have no incentive to actually go to Alberta, you know, sort of make more money, get a job, improve their lives, have a better life, better life for their children, not have to get OSAP to go to school. Um, and uh, can I tell you, sorry, when I was uh, there, um, of course, I never pursued any of this myself, yeah. but OSAP, which is the Ontario Student uh, Application Program? Uh, assistance Program. Assistance, uh, yeah, Ontario Student Ac uh, Assistance Program was, in, in when I was younger, it was called the Ontario Stereo Acquisition Plan <laughs> uh, because... <laughs> People would take their money. Uh, and anyway, go on. Sorry. Well, it's true. I mean, you know, um, but essentially, you know, we've got the situation where the so the people don't want to move from Nova Scotia to Alberta where the jobs are. And so we have this problem. We need workers. So they say, oh, well, let's bring over 100,000 people from from Ireland or something like that, you know, just so we can keep this voting block. So, you know, the liberals will still get this number of votes in the next election. I mean, that's what it's really all about. Um, well, the people who don't work are profit centers for the politicians, because the more uh, the more uh, people they have who don't work, the larger their transfer payments. Yeah. So they're kind of like a, a crop that you plant in the ground that, that reaps this evil reward of, of blood money. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, this I just got a we just wrote an article about it on Mises Canada and uh, somebody somebody just wrote in. I'll read you her comment. She said, I was waiting impatiently for an article to be written about this. As a university student, I've been through some unfair treatment for not being part of the movement and not boycotting class. My department voted on a motion that allowed all students who had been striking to be exempted from assignments on from March 5th until the end of the semester. Yes, all the hours spent on my final assignments were worthless. She said, I try to instruct my classmates on the subject, but I gave up. It's what's taught to them from the cradle. So right there, you know, it's sort of... So this this woman, this person who's worked hard is, you know, she's, you know, she wants to sort of achieve and, and you know, and, and sort of do something good for herself and make her life better. She's being shot in the foot, you know, by these uh, by these sort of selfless students who are merely protesting to give her a better life. I don't know. I'm, I'm not terribly impressed with that. 
Yeah, and I mean, what's happened, of course, is is because this is something that is relatively cheap, and and the costs of it in terms of deferred income don't really show up. For people, I have a friend who's a uh, economics teacher who reminds his students, you know, if they're sort of not paying attention or they, you know, it's like, you know, he takes them through the math. You know, this is going to be four years. Let's say you had a job mm -hmm. averaging out at 50K a year. That's $200,000, you know, that, that, that you're paying uh, just, just to be here. And, and, you know, plus the tuition, plus the books, plus the living expenses, you know, which might be cheaper elsewhere. And you're giving up all of this. And, you know, it works out to like, I don't know, over a quarter million, $300,000 or more just to get a college degree. Uh, and, you know, but people just like, I'm going to go drink my head off, you know, <laughs> they don't, they don't see it. And what I, I can't think what wouldn't, if somebody wanted a job, uh, you know, being an advertisement guy or, or marketer or whatever it is that these sort of soft skills that arts degrees are supposed to help you with. Yeah. Or in a newspaper, why, you know, why wouldn't you spend four years apprenticing in a newspaper or at a marketing company or whatever, you know, get real world job experience, get your contacts, you know, you, you, you develop whatever skills you need, you're making money. I mean, that to me is a, is a net positive, this this weird thing where you, you run through this slow motion, you know, <laughs> barrier of four years of education and massive amounts of debt just to get an entry level job somewhere, yeah. particularly in a non-professional field. And the professions, of course, is another topic entirely guided by the state. But it, it just it's a weird thing. And, and it's become something that is expected, as we all know, like a, a, a BA is now what a high school diploma used to be. And now a master's is something that's going to become like what a BA is. Mm -hmm. And this is something that people they don't question. Uh, they, they can't really. Why not quit and be an entrepreneur? I mean, that that's a fun thing to do. And lots of people are very successful that way. But well, then we can't think like that anymore. We just got to follow these these train tracks. Well, this is the interesting thing, the um, because now, of course, with our this sort of uh, the great recession of 2008, which to me is unfolding into a new great depression, really, you know, oh, yeah, we've got a situation yeah. where kids are graduating out of school and there simply aren't jobs. So not only are they going to school for four years, ending up in massive debt. Um, if you want to look at, at what our future is going to be, if the state sort of doesn't pull, start pulling back, um, you know, you look at Greece and Spain where 50 under 25, 50 percent unemployment. You know, and and a new uh, and a new there was just in the National Post or the Financial Post, this little poll. And it was looking at what are the top places where students want to go when they graduate. And this is even business students when they graduate, where do they want to go work within the top four, uh, the government of Canada and the Bank of Canada. And, you know, wow. and, it, and it's just and what I see is that. Slowly, the, the state is um, undermining the real economy, undermining society. Right? Well, it's displacing it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like a cancer that grows and pushes out the healthy cells. I mean, it displaces it. Now the free market is so chaotic. And I tell you, I mean, I spent a lot of years as an entrepreneur in the free market and as an employee in the free market. It's nuts. You know, like I started in the, in, in the 90s and rode the whole tech boom. And then there was a crash. And I ended up taking about a year and a half off. And then I started working again. And there was just all these crazy rules. Oh, this, the dollar is up. The dollar is down. Oh, there's a strike from this company. And this company is doing really well. The reason sources shifting over here. You're basically just chasing a bunch of butterflies all over the place and the butterflies are on coke and you're on acid. You know, it, it's really, really tough to do anything predictable and sustainable in the free market because there's so much chaos that's going on. And there is a tendency to be drawn towards government contracts and government work because it's the, the uh, standards are much lower and the payment is guaranteed. Well, and, but the thing is that I don't necessarily think the chaos is, but the, the chaos isn't driven by the nature of 
voluntary transactions. No, no, no. It's all state policies, uh, inflation and currency manipulations and laws coming in and out and taxes changing and deductions changing. And no, I, I agree with you. It's all to do with just the, this, you know, one, two punches of N-dimensional Mike Tyson's pounding your brain mm -hmm. from every direction you can conceive of with all of these changes in regulations and policies. Yeah, well, because essentially with, with the, you know, coming back to fiat currency, I mean, essentially the, the government is just spraying this hose of money around and wherever it happens to land, you know, bang. So like you said, it was the And it's bubble. sucking it up from somewhere else, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, not only do you get the, the, the rain, but you also get the desert where it's coming from. Well, this is, and this is what I sort of find funny about also the, um, I, I sort of went to the website of the, of the uh, you know, class is what they call themselves or ASSE. And they were talking about, they had a little, they had a little piece here on, um, this is the, the, so the sort of website that, that the, the protesting students are centered around. And they had a piece on free education, right? And they said, well, is it possible? Now, you know, this is the thing. They, they don't quite understand. They say free education is a total care cost of education of the state, right? The policy requires a major reinvestment in education from the state. And it's, you know, you know it's, it, I just, they're not opposing the state. They're not opposing, they don't seem to understand, as far as I can tell, the reasons why their why their life is getting progressively harder, right? They're supporting, you know, they don't understand that when you know if the the more the state makes something quote unquote free, in fact, the less they're actually going to get in the long run. Well, and this is what I would say because I hold this kind of thinking in almost bottomless contempt, yeah. which is uh, they want education to be free. Great. That's just great. What you need to do then is you guys are more educated than junior high school students. So what you need to do is go and offer free tutoring to junior <laughs> high students. Right. Yeah. Just just, you know, take a break from your drinking and your partying and doing jello shots off the cheerleaders and go and give yourself some free education. You set up. You think education yeah. be free. You go and give your free education to the young who really need it. Some immigrants go teach them English, something. Do something that's useful. But you know what's yeah. interesting It's the only people that I know who are giving real free quality education are the capitalists and the anarchists and the free market people. Uh, people like yourself, people like myself, the Mises Institute and the I mean, the, the, uh, the Rockwell. I mean, these people all give great you know, massive amounts of books and educational materials and all that, all out for free. I'm not sure I see these guys making trigonometry videos and submitting them to the Khan Academy or wherever they'd get them out yeah. to show how free education could work. No, no, it's we want free education. Then go do it, you're adults. Go do it. No, 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 it's me, me, me. Take, take, take. I, I, I. It's like, oh, well, yeah, I, this, and this I want is, free yeah. stuff for me. I never want to contribute anything free to society. Yeah, well, and this is this is the point is that they're saying that um, I had a discussion. I was just having a debate with somebody about this, and he said, you know, he's saying, well, the state should, you know, the state should provide this, the state should provide that. And I said, well, no, you're, you don't really want the state. To, you don't want what you're really asking for. You're not asking for voluntary. You're asking for essentially the state to expropriate somebody to take by force resources from somewhere else and then redistribute, redistribute them according to your own personal preferences. Right. They don't. Um, so really, and don't these people? Sorry, don't these people care about the poor at all? <laughs> I mean, where do they think this money is going to come from? It's going to come from two places fundamentally: debt and inflation. Because there's no, we can't raise taxes anymore. Yep. Debt and inflation hit the poor the hardest. 
Mm-hmm. And that is something that I don't think people understand. I mean, obviously, debt increases the price of of, uh, of, of interest rates and so on, which hits those on a fixed income, i.e. the poor. Inflation uh, hits those on a fixed income uh, the worst because you don't have ways of hedging against it or having offshore accounts or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I want all of this stuff. But they're all weird. Weirdly enough, they're all socialists. And so they're all like, yeah. I really care about the poor, but I'm going to rip a few dollars out of their hide to satisfy my own middle class aspirations. It's like, God, when you think about the poor just a little bit, the, the opportunities they don't have because of what you're taking. Well, and, and this is the thing is that um, what I sort of find funny about this, uh, what I've what I've been saying to some people, you know, like I would go to these students and I would say, well, essentially, you guys, you already have socialism like this is this is it. You know, you've been the 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 Quebec, the real push for this sort of independence and socialism within Quebec, you know, started around the, the late 1960s, um, you know, for for now, 40 years, they've been chasing business, private business out of their out of their uh, out of their city. In fact, I've, I was in Montreal a little while ago and I had people coming up to me and saying, hey, I think. Toronto's a great city. There's a lot going on there. There's so many things happening. And I'm like, well, yeah, because you chased all the business out of your city. I mean, you know, people are dirt poor there. And then they say, and when you look at Quebec, it's disintegrating, right? The, they're, you know, they, they're chasing over the scraps um, of, you know, they're saying, well, we want free education. But meanwhile, bridges are falling down. On the oh, their infrastructure is, I mean, you know, they, I used to work for a company that, that uh, analyzed uh, public infrastructure. Yeah. I mean, the infrastructure across Canada as a whole is a complete disaster as it is in mm. the U.S. But in Quebec, it's just unbelievable. They, yeah, they regularly have to close bridges because stuff is falling off them. Oh, yeah, no, people were crushed by bridges falling down. And this is what I mean is that for so long, and this is what was funny is because you often get these people who say, oh, well, you know, that wasn't socialism in the Soviet Union. Or that wasn't socialism in China, the Eastern Bloc. You know, every single country that was socialist during the 20th century, you know, you now get the people who were, I guess, radical social. They were socialists leading up to um, up to the 1990s. And then they say, well, I mean, socialism still works. I mean, they would do. They just weren't doing it right. And I've got a situation where, you know, the, the Quebecois have had socialism for 40 years, essentially now. And it's all starting to fall apart. But they're they're still fighting over the scraps, and it's it's just sort of um, I mean it's kind of a sad thing to see. But I, at the same time, I'm like, well, I mean, you you know, you've been voting for these policies for forty years now. I mean, you you're reaping what you sow. You know, I'm. I'm <laughs> so what do you think should happen? Who should uh, who should pay, or should anyone pay for all of this debt? Ah, you mean in terms of uh, <laughs> well, the rich, obviously, Stefan. I think the. <laughs> One Let's go find the, the one rich guy left in Canada who still works in the private sector and go through well, his Well, I, I think Murray right? Rothbard had a good point about this. He said, you know, the governments are the governments have contracted for this debt without the consent of the governed, right? I mean, uh, the debts that have, have risen, the debts that have been incurred up to this point, you know, when I, when I was 14 or so, my mother got me a, uh, a social insurance card. I wasn't an adult. I didn't. I didn't consent to any of of the debt that was built up. Ah, uh, so what do they call it? The original sin. Anyway, go on. Yeah, the original sin. And so, I mean, effect. I mean, you know, as as within in Europe, uh, you know, what we're facing. I, I mean, the best thing to do would be to default on the debt. I think, um, you know, you're going to see a radical. 
I mean, we're entering a strange period of time where, you know, education is really going to start to change because it's not working for anybody anymore uh, in a large sense. When you've got 50% of people unemployed, um, you know, simply people are going to take a look and they're going to say, well, I could go to school for four years and get uh, $100,000 worth of debt and then not get a job. Or I can, you know, go online and learn and work my way through school and educate myself and get back to the place, get back to a time when you could work your way through school. So, but I mean, in terms of, of student debt, of, of provincial debt, of federal debt, I mean, really, we've built these bubbles all over the place. And I think the best bet is to uh, sort of accelerate the, bu- the popping process and, and sort of get that, get rid of that debt as fast as possible. I don't know. I mean, I could I could be more technical, but yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, repudiation is the only just situation. I can't buy a car on somebody else's behalf and expect them to pay the bill. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I I agree, um, and I think that I mean, I remember working three jobs to get through through college at times, yeah. and uh, certainly worked all the summers and all of that, and uh, all of that's still possible. But I th- I would suspect what a lot of people are going to do is they're going to go into you know, is it a third of the world economy now? is running on the black market or the gray market. Yeah. And what, what people are going to do is they're simply going to abandon uh, the, you know, the, the Gestapo Kremlin of the modern socialist economy and go towards the weird Somalia underworld of the uh, a gray market or black market. And it's kind of weird. You know, people say, well, anarchy can't work or whatever. But anarchy works pretty well, even in the gray and black market, even though it's, it's completely underground and it can't have any sort of open contracts. So yeah. even when the government tries to prevent uh, a free system of exchange from working, it still works really well, even if you can't have contract, even if you can't do all the things you would be able to do in a truly free society, it still works. Again, it's yeah. just another point. But I think that's where a lot of people are going to disappear to. And I think that's yeah. a real tragedy. Well, I mean, and that's the thing is that, you know, already I, I said, um, I said a while ago, you know, a, a carpenter who accepts cash for a job you know, I, th- I think that person's a hero in some ways, right? I mean, but again, like you said, they're forced to do that, right? They're forced to sort of work within this black market or gray market. And as you said, that's two consenting adults coming together, forming a contract and, you know, exchanging for services. Everybody benefits, yet somehow the, you know, the, and I think what's going to happen is as we see this shift towards the black and gray markets, um, I think you're just going to have a have a have a have a situation where the government's going to try to squeeze more and more out of the people who still are existing within that market or within within the sort of government legal market. Um, and Gary North said this a little while ago. He said, you know, the the political battles of the next twenty years um, are going to be fought over who gets the old maid. You know, who's who's stuck with the bill? Who's stuck with the the slowly declining government services? Who's going to pay the piper for the massive debt that's been built up over the last, you know, 50 years or 60 years? And the reality is that nobody can cut this debt within the existing system. Let's say you fire half the government workers. Well, all they do is they go on unemployment insurance and you haven't saved yourself a penny. And then they go on welfare and then they apply for job retraining, which I mean, you'd have to cut, you know, government workers, welfare, job retraining, unemployment insurance, um, subsidized housing. I mean, you'd have to cut. I mean, there would be a year probably of unbelievably wrenching and challenging change and then we'd be through it. But democracy is the kind of drug that makes nobody want to take that Band-Aid off quickly. You know, here. 
hair by hair, agony by agony. It's just going to go on and on. Uh, well, this weird, yeah. We've been inured to the, the necessary pain of change because we've had this weird drug of uh, suppressing the symptoms of problems called debt so that now everybody thinks that we can somehow continue to coast on these, you know, uh, 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 these uh, hallucinogenic fumes of debt delusion. And it's simply <laughs> not going to be the case. And the longer we go on, the harder we're going to hit. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing is that um, you look at the United States right now. I mean, you had the, the situation of the of the 99ers, right? We didn't have quite as big. A, we haven't haven't had the crash in the way the United States did in 2008. And so you had people who were sitting on welfare or sitting on unemployment benefits for 99 weeks. And all that did for them, all it did was it made them sit there and try to believe, try to believe that, you know, they could they could stay in their house, try to believe that they could, um, you know, still continue to have the lifestyle they did. And it doesn't it doesn't enable people to sort of adapt to reality and move on with their lives. Right. It's and, like those uh, those uh, the, the Obama's administration put these things in, which were supposed to reduce people's payments for their mortgages so they could stay in their house. And I think like 5% of people have ever gotten it. But what it has done is it got people mired into this multi-year process of trying to get this to work while continuing to pay or go into debt or whatever. Whereas if you know you can't afford it, you just stop. But if you've got this illusion that just right over the hill is, you know, it's the water and it just turns out to be more sand in your mouth. Uh, I mean, there's a lot about remediating this stuff that is designed to just, I mean, I think unemployment insurance, I think that I would probably side with the radical Marxist uh, on this and say that it is a way of just preventing necessary change and and uh, uh, rebellion within society. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's, uh, but like you said, it, but the other thing that would be necessary is not only to cut the government roles of, uh, you know, cut the government roles of um, of hiring and people being and working for government, but at the same time, enormous amounts of legislation will have to be repealed, and just the books. You know, you look at the the Federal Register in the United States; it's up to something over seventy five thousand pages. Um, here in Canada, uh, you know, I ran for city council, and I and I would say to people, I said, "Well, at at what point do we have enough laws?" Right? That's <laughs> no, but it, it, seriously, I mean, there must be an optimal point when we have the number of laws that is necessary to function as a society. But year year after year, additional layers of laws are put in place. Um, and I think the danger is that we do get to a point where, you know, we become like the old Soviet Union and one day it just all falls apart, you know. Um, and I think that's that's the real danger that we, we get to this point where we, you know, it's, it's we're sort of past we're past the point of no return. Um, and it just there's so many incentives built in to keep this system going that bang you know just one day this the plug will be pulled and you know <laughs> it will also yeah and and people are so used to um you know we've we've graduated from the sort of the mob of the late roman empire and the the french revolution to the point where we're not sticking people's heads on spikes but if I suffer, I have a tantrum. Uh, if I yeah. suffer, it must be somebody else's fault. If I suffer, I must clamor for the state to use its force to relieve my suffering. Uh, you see this with people who, you know, they've they've overeaten all their lives. They've got diabetes, and now they're, you know, screaming for for resources to. It's like you ate too much. I mean, sorry, but you know, I mean, <laughs> there's this huge problem in that the the fruits of virtue can be redistributed, but the fruits of vice can't be. Like if I if I work hard and and 
get a degree uh, while having a day job or whatever, and then I, I go and work and I save and I get a house and, and I invest, and I end up with resources, and someone can come along, scoop up those resources and take them away. My neighbor who you know parties all weekend and, and works some minimum wage job half the week and so on, <laughs> 20 years later, I can't go and scoop all the fun he had and transfer it to me. Yeah. Because that's all dead and gone in time. You know, if somebody eats too much, gets fat and gets diabetes, they can take my money to pay for their treatments. I can't go back in time and have half their chocolate cake now in the present. Yeah. So the fruits of virtue, they can be taken from you uh, and you are vulnerable because you are virtuous, whereas the fruits of vice can't be transferred. And this yeah. is the fundamental imbalance, that one of the main reasons why statism can never work. Well, and this was the funny thing, um, you know, just – and what I what I and with this debate I was having with this guy on Twitter, just just cutting back to uh, making decisions, rational decisions about where to allocate your resources. You know, he was saying, oh, well, you know, university costs X amount of, amount a year. And he said uh, and I said, um, he said, well, it costs eight thousand dollars a year, ten thousand dollars a year. And I said, OK, well, what's the tuition cost? And he said, five thousand dollars. I said, well, do you live at home with your parents? You know, do you, I mean, even, even within the structure we have, um, there's an, a culture of entitlement that I should be entitled not only to a free education, I should be entitled to go to the university of my, of my choice, you know, in a, in a city that's far away from me and it should be free. And, you know, and, and this is the problem with, as you're talking about the bandaid, the, the heroin that gets injected. Once you get into that trap of forever asking for these these um, things being given to you or whatever, it, it, it sort of doesn't stop. You know what I mean? Like, where do, where yeah. do you draw the line? You know, it's um, I was I was joking with a buddy of mine. I said, why do I work? You know, it, it really you know, if, if my if I'm able to uh, if I'm able to have the, the lifestyle, you know, if I lower my preference for a giant screen TV and a really nice car, you know, I, I could be completely happy uh, living in a, in a, the kind of house that, you know, one bedroom home and <laughs> these sorts of things. Right. And people, they don't, because they're not taught to thought, not taught to think in any kind of economically sophisticated way. In fact, yeah. they're kind of barred from it. The students don't realize that by far the best thing that could happen to them economically is for the tuition to go up. The tuition should go up to like $10,000 a year. The reason for that is that then they would be making a much more sensible economic calculation about whether to go to school or not. And then, because so few people would be able to go to school relative to now, I think it's now is what, like a third of people get a BA. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, and so what would happen is then people would find alternative ways to figure out whether you're valuable or not, rather than just saying, well, you have to have this four-year degree. Yeah. Right. There'd be like written tests uh, or, you know, like a, an hour long exam before you got a job at a newspaper and an ad agency or whatever. And so you could just study and, and, and you know, do it on your own time and your own merits. And because, you know, like only five percent of the population would have a degree, but they still need 25 percent of skilled middle management or white collar workers. All that would happen is other ways would be figured out that would be incredibly cheaper and faster than four years and hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of debt and lost income. And so by far the best thing would be it would get you into the workforce sooner. It would be much more efficient. It would be about as, as effective as getting a four-year degree, but at like one-tenth of 100% of the cost. Yeah. So they don't understand that there's huge value in the tuition fees going up because then there'll be a way to bypass this well, whole mess. But as long as they stay yeah. low, everyone has to go to college, and that's incredibly expensive well, for the individual and society. But not only that, I mean, nobody would go, and then about – 
you know, two years later, the cost of tuition would drop <laughs> to about a tenth of what it had been because the, you know, because they would say, we need to get, uh, we need to get people into this. We need to make money. The professors would say, I need to make a living. The state isn't just feeding me money. I'm not just, you know, I'm not just shooting up on the vein, you know what I mean? I've, I've got to go and figure out how I can produce value and offer something to people that they value and are willing to exchange with me the things I need for my life, you know, and, and this is... Well, sorry, but that, that would be to assume that government spending is depending on the number, number of customers. Yeah. And that usually is not the case, right? It's upwardly yeah. sticky. It goes like, cause remember, they, they expanded all these schools and hired all these teachers yeah. because of the baby boomers. Uh, and, and then when it really declined, the spending didn't really go down that much, if at all. And so it could, it certainly would be the case in the long run. But uh, I mean, in the short run, it would be... Um, uh, it would be advantageous, although, of course, people halfway through their degrees would definitely uh, face a bit of a challenge. But And I'm not saying that's a yeah. perfect solution, but what I'm saying is that they never look at the upside of, mm. of this kind of stuff and say, wow, you know, if the intuition goes up so high, people will find some other ways to validate my skills other than waiting for everyone to have a degree who won't have it anymore. What a great opportunity that would be. Or think that there's, uh, you know, why don't they think of becoming entrepreneurs and figuring out how they can get companies to figure out people's skill sets without a BA or without, you know, whatever it is that they they, they say they need now well, to bypass yeah. that. And this is the thing is that, you know, if you've ever worked, you know, if you've ever worked a job and you realize that pretty much all the skills you need, you learn on that job, right? right. Um, right. And, you know, and... and, and like the, what you and I are doing right now. <laughs> yeah, well, and this is what I mean is the... the um, and, and, with, and with this whole sort of, uh, you know, this mass education system... I mean, I've gotten the sense that it's progressively gotten worse over time. I mean, I've been ta I've been talking to my mother. She actually, you know, speaking of leeching off the state, my mother <laughs> teaches university up in Sault Ste. Marie, and she's been teaching on an offer. I mean, you know, it's her first full time ever position. Even in the 1980s, it was very hard to get, you know, a, a, a full tenured position. Um, but she was saying that, yeah, like over the last 20 years, definitely the you know the quality of English uh, literacy coming out of the high schools has definitely been coming down in quality, right? And so it's almost like as the state makes, you know, it's, it's almost like it's making school more and more mandatory. You just have to keep going and going and going. And even now you, you get out of university and I, you know, I talk to people and they say, I basically have to retrain people once they get to this job. You right. know, it's... Uh, but in, in any case, so I, I think uh, I've got to go soon. So um, yeah, let's uh, let's wrap up. Uh, just uh, give my listeners uh, your uh, web credentials, your credentials on the web. Make sure they can find the wonderful stuff that you guys are putting out. Yeah, so we're uh, Mises Institute of Canada, www.mises.a. And again, like you, we function uh, only on donations. Um, we've also got our. <laughs> <laughs> feed me <laughs> feed me um i'm gonna get, get a sandwich to come down from some listener i'll, I'll go up like a, like a jumping frog trying to get a mosquito yeah, anyway we, sorry, go we on. all uh and uh otherwise we're looking on putting together uh we've got liberty fest uh toronto november 3rd i think you're going to be working with us on that absolutely um for any 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 university students out there we're looking at putting together a austrian scholars conference this fall and uh, and also you can check out our, our own YouTube channel. Um, I think it's YouTube slash Redomondo, R-E-D-O-M-O-N-D-O. -O -O. It was my own personal one and I didn't want to get a new one. So there you go. Redomondo is our YouTube channel.
All right. And I'm at uh, youtube.com forward slash freedomainradio, freedomainradio.com. Redmond, and thanks for having me out um, for the um, the talk uh, last week. It was, yep. uh, it was a lot of fun. It was great to meet everyone. And I'm really shocked that my daughter stayed quiet. But she did tell me that she really did not enjoy me talking <laughs> to the people because it really did interfere with our hide-and-go-seek. So uh, that's, uh, that was a challenge. But but worth it, I think. Thanks again. <laughs> okay. Great to talk to you, Stefan. All right. Take care, man. Okay, bye. So there, how did, how did we... Uh... Good. I think we did it right. Yeah, I think we ended up doing. Uh, oh. I, we went longer than twenty minutes, certainly. All right, you know, we'll, it'll probably come down to forty-five once we take the intro out. But uh, I'll let you know when it's posted. Which is great, man. Yeah, thanks a lot. I, I hope we did. We get some good stuff there. We sort of went all over the place, but no, I liked it. I think I think it was good stuff. Uh, so uh, I I don't think it needs any editing. Okay, great, man. We'll talk soon. <laughs>